When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, hello, this is Let's Talk About Myths, baby! And I'm your host, 
live. Back with more of Mr. Zero to Hero, the man who could and did go the distance. This singular character about whom I will perpetually, almost certainly, annoyingly refer to using exclusively cutesy Disney quotes. Yes, that's right. Hercules, or rather Heracles, because we're talking about the Greeks. Last week, we talked about the mess that Heracles made after completing his twelve labors. How, in attempting to find a second wife, you know, to replace the one he's killed in a murderous rage caused by a goddess, he ended up killing another innocent man in, surprise, surprise, a murderous rage. Heracles has major, major anger issues. In fact, there's an incredible Euripides play called Heracles that is basically all about PTSD from wartime. One day, we'll dive into that. But today is not that day. Today, we're back with another light-ish and ridiculous episode looking at the less famous exploits of Heracles after those famed labors. We even have another connection to the Disney movie, because of course we do. But before we dive right into the story, I want to remind you how stories of Heracles go. Because he was such a unique hero, a hero for the whole of the Greek world and even beyond, a hero that everyone and their brother wanted to be connected with in some way, because of this, his stories are fascinatingly far-reaching, vague, and sometimes very fragmentary. There are references to him traveling everywhere, doing things all around, an anecdote here, a short story there, a fragment left behind, or something longer, more detailed, or maybe just a piece of artwork. Heracles, along with the Amazons, was one of the most represented characters in the whole of Greek myth. He was everywhere, in text, fragments, pottery, wall paintings, any and everything you can imagine. Picture, won't you, the Disney movie when Hercules has reached the height of his fame and he's got 90s-style fame, his face on every bit of merch you can imagine, like the Marvel movies of ancient Greece. While that uses contemporary, or rather 90s, which I guess isn't particularly contemporary anymore, oof, ideas of fame, the idea behind it is absolutely accurate. Heracles was the hero for everyone, and his face was everywhere in the ancient world. Why do I tell you all this? I mean, basically because my newest obsession is just the idea of fragmentary ideas alone, the way certain characters or concepts spanned the whole of the Greek world, how that manifested, what do we know, what don't we know, what don't we know that we don't know? I could go on, but I'll spare you. Most importantly, I'm reminding you this to explain how these episodes have to go. I try to pick a through line for you, a bit of reasonable chronology and a sequence of events. I try to explain these events as best I can, but sometimes, well, sometimes they're very messy. Today's episode is the last of the fragmentary Heracles, for now. The last of the messy, messy Heracles. Because we're leading up to one of the most famous stories about him. One of Sophocles' tragedies, the Trachiniae, the women of Trachis. But before we dive into that play, we need to know about how Heracles got to where he will be. 
how he met his next and final wife, Dianera. This is episode 156, Encounters with the Pinhead with Hooves, Achelous, Dianera, and the Centaur Nessus. As we dive back into the heart of Heracles' wild myths of wonder, I want you to imagine a very specific and very iconic scene from Disney's Hercules. Hercules and Phil are together, training, I think. Phil, who's introduced in the movie, having just chased a nymph, and she turns into a tree, a nod to Daphne, and not a very good example for young children. But I digress. Fortunately, gross moment with this nymph aside, the strong woman of Disney's Hercules is still to come. We see Meg for the first time, facing down a centaur, an angry fellow, quite the intimidating brute. Our pal Herc, quote-unquote, rescues Meg from this centaur. A centaur who she absolutely had under control. Now, recall the quote. Well, you know how men are. They think no means yes, and get lost means take me, I'm yours. That is the centaur Nessus. But I'm getting ahead of myself, purely so that I could recite that quote. Dianera was a princess of Caledon, Caledon of Atalanta and her boar fame, in central Greece. There is little description of Dianera before she meets Heracles, but Apollodorus describes her with the simple yet badass quote, This girl plied the chariot reins and was adept in military exercises. Dianera's father was the king of Caledon, a man named Oeneus, and he had promised her in marriage to a local river god by the name of Achelous. Achelous was an incredibly famous river god because the Achelous River was one of Greece's biggest rivers. Our brief but helpful friend Apollodorus, among others, notes that Achelous was in fact the father of the Sirens by one of two different women, one being the muse Melpomene. This isn't necessarily a widespread idea, but it gives you a sense of Achelous's importance. Because he was this major river, this major river god, he was also the father of some other famous rivers and streams, like the Castalian, the stream that still flows through Mount Parnassus and that you can still drink from on your way to or from Delphi. Fill your water bottle with this fresh mountain water of the Castalian Spring? It's fucking beautiful. Achelous wasn't only the father of some important deities, he was himself a pretty big deal. In the Iliad, he's referred to as the Prince of Rivers, and seems to rival really only Oceanus himself. Achelous features in a number of stories, even if he doesn't have any that are, like, distinctly his own. His river was something to behold. It would go beyond its bounds and become impassable parts of the year, and stories developed around that. Later, long after the events I'm about to talk about with Heracles and Dianera, 
Our most hated hero, Theseus, encounters this river god, Achelous, and his river. It was impassable at that point, fast-flowing and dangerous, and much, much bigger than it was typically. Bigger than it would be when it had shrunk back to its usual size. I don't know the best way of phrasing when rivers get big. But because of this, Achelous invites Theseus and his men into his river god home to wait out the river's dangerous state. This is from Ovid's Metamorphoses, and I share it because we get this beautiful description of how this particular river god lives and where. His cave-like home is described as, quote, Of porous pumice and rough tufa rock, the residence was built. The floor was damp and soft with moss, the ceiling covered with shells of conch and murex laid in turn. Theseus and his men are in awe of this river god and his home, and Achelous is thrilled to have company. I imagine it's somewhat lonely to live as a river god. Their night continues, and, quote, Soon barefoot river nymphs arranged the tables and spread the banquet board, and when the feast was cleared, they set a jeweled bowl of wine. Sounds lovely, except for Theseus. A lovely setup from this big and impressive river god, Achelous. Now, there was even a cult of worship around him because he, this river, was one of the biggest in Greece. He became known as like the freshwater god and as such was worshipped for it. There's mention of altars for him alongside Hestia and Hermes and talk of spaces sacred to this vital god of fresh water. I mean, where would they be without fresh water? But all of these interesting and complimentary things I've had to say about Achelous doesn't mean that every woman would be eager to be his wife. Though Achelous might seem like an important and interesting guy leading an interesting life, Dianera, this princess of Caledon, has no interest in marrying him, though it seems it's already been decided for her. In fact, she lives in dread of being forced to marry Achelous, something that we will hear in her own voice when we get to Sophocles' tragedy about her. There, she tells of these moments of her past, but we're looking at them now in the present to sort out how she got to be where she is in that play. Their story, beyond what we will learn next week, is, surprise, surprise, incredibly fragmentary and often told from particular points of view. In Ovid's Metamorphoses, Achelous tells his own version of events to none other than that asshat-in-chief, Theseus, when he's visiting him. There we have this version where Heracles is the aggressor, Achelous is the victim, and Dianera is very much not worth the trouble in the end. Meanwhile, later we have Dianera's story, both in Ovid's Heroides and Sophocles' Trachiniae. I'll share both of these with you in time. Certainly, a reading episode is in order. Still, as for this story itself, we have the basics. Achelous is set to marry Dianera, or maybe he's just vying for her and things aren't confirmed yet. In either case, he ends up having to face down Heracles over this woman. Heracles, meanwhile, seems to have just come upon Dianera in his travels, found this princess of Caledon who seems hot and cool, I guess, 
he'd given up on the idea of marrying Ioli for now, after that trouble with her father and brothers and his time spent in service to Amphali. And so it seems this Princess of Caledon is his next best bet for a wife. Don't trouble yourselves trying to understand why all of this happens, or when, especially the idea of him and Amphali having like a full and real relationship, even a child... Often these bits are disparate stories from different regions, which are then connected after the fact, to make sense of a narrative or a character's life experiences. We don't have rationale for why Heracles moved on to Dianera beyond that he did it. Heracles, setting his sights on Dianera, on whom the river god Achelous has already set his sights, means only one thing. Heracles and the river would have to wrestle. Achilles style. Now, Achelous does appear to have a bit more corporeal form here, at least when compared to the river Scamander, who Achilles fights during the Trojan War, though then too we can assume that the river took on some kind of corporeal form. Still, why am I bursting bubbles? We can indeed imagine that both of these men fought literal rivers, because fuck if that isn't way more exciting and cool. Achelous and Heracles fought over Dianera, and it was quite the match. Heracles was, of course, Heracles, but Achelous was a fucking river god. He was a river. He took the form of a bull, says Apollodorus, and Heracles knocked off one of his horns. But it's this visual representation that we should be really paying attention to, because it says so many other things about this fascinating river god. First, Achelous is a big river god. He appears in so many ancient sources, in so many different origins and birth stories. This is because he was the god of this major river of the region. So he wasn't just any river god that Heracles fought for this woman, but one of the most impressive and important. And visually, Achelous is truly something else, in that he is many things at once. He is sometimes explicitly a shapeshifter. Sometimes he's a bull, entirely a bull, in the simplest and most realistic manner. Other times he's a bull, but he has the head of a man, but not just a head protruding off a bull's body. It's like he has a man's face sticking off the rest of a bull, like he's still got bull ears and horns, and it's incredibly weird and yet fascinating at the same time. But in yet another visual representation, he's a more traditional water god fighting a hero. He's got this kind of serpentine, fishy-type body, very long and snake-like. You can think of, like, Nereus, Thetis's father. He's got fins and fish scales with sort of a half-human top and a human head. And in still one more, Achelous looks to be more of a centaur than anything else. Perhaps he's meant to have the bottom half of a bull rather than a horse, but on ancient Greek pottery, they look basically the same because it's a bull, but four-legged bull, not minotaur-style bull. Watch for the Instagram post of this episode because we will share some of these fascinating Achelous varietals. As much as I can't tell you much in the way of details of their fight, these representations are fascinating in themselves, as well as the importance of Achelous and the fact that, details aside, it is a game-changer of a fight. That Achelous is often depicted in text and art as a bull is more important than it sounds, too. These horns, typically at least one removed by Heracles, end up, in one way or another, as the famed cornucopia, the horn of plenty. 
This is even rationalized by certain writers, made less literal than a hero fighting a bull-shaped god, and instead suggesting that the bull was actually the sound of a river, providing well-irrigated land, perfect for growing food. Or even that Heracles diverted a river to defeat Achilles once again, providing this perfect irrigation for growing food. Am I being unnecessarily detailed? Maybe. Is it interesting all the same? You're damn fucking right it is. This is all the idea behind this cornucopia, Horn of Plenty. Whatever the details, though, and Horn of Plenty aside, Heracles, of course, defeats Achilles. Their fight is epic and momentous, made more so because of what we know about Achilles. He wasn't just one of the many hundreds of river gods. He was the river god. Heracles couldn't just fight any old guy for the right to marry a woman. He's got to fight the best of the best. Still, in the end, Heracles does indeed defeat Achilles. Be he a bull or a man or a serpent man or a bull man, he is defeated. But he lives on to tell the story in Ovid's Metamorphoses. And Heracles goes on to marry Dianera, this woman that he's won by defeating Achilles, and the woman who will become his final wife, and the unwitting cause of his death. But again, I'm getting ahead of myself. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan, millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed, cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Heracles and Dianera are set to be married. Fortunately for Dianera, we're to believe that Heracles winning this fight with Achilles was a welcome outcome for her. She didn't want to marry this oddly shaped river god, and marrying a hot hero like Heracles was much more preferable. Even if he had murdered his first wife and children. Details, details. Still, I'm being unfair. We don't actually know if Dianera knew this up front. Regardless, Dianera is happy with the match. It seems to be what she wants, and that should be celebrated as it is all too rare. But don't expect a happy ending. This is Greek mythology, and the next week's episode will be the famed Greek tragedy Sophocles' Trachiniae, all about Dianera. Today, though, today she's happy. Dianera and Heracles get married, and they prepare to start their lives together. They must travel, though. They must leave Dianera's homeland in search of their own, where they'll live together in happiness, at least for a time. But before that, there's a river that must be crossed. Not the River Achilles. That god is already handled. He's feeling very silly and sorry for himself, as we will hear in an upcoming reading episode. No, the river they must cross now is the River Evanus. And before I go any further, I ask you again to remember that scene from Disney's Hercules when we're first introduced to Meg. Because there is a centaur who resides by this river, Evanus, he is named Nessos and has taken it upon himself to handle anyone who wishes to cross the river. It seems to be tricky river, if not impossible, to cross on one's own, so Nessos has started his own kind of business, a side hustle, where he will charge people to bring them across the river, presumably using his centaur self as the means of transportation. One of two things happens here when Heracles and Dianera reach the river Evanus. Either Heracles first crosses the river himself, understanding that Nessos will bring Dianera over after him, because if there's anyone who can handle this seemingly uncrossable river, it's Heracles. Or Nessos brings Dianera over the river first, with Heracles to follow. Either way, Nessos intends to assault 
Dianera, while Heracles is on the opposite side of the river, unable to immediately stop him. And now a, a deeper trigger warning than normal. Because, ick. Some say that Nessos only attempted to assault Dianera, that Heracles stopped him with an arrow before he was able to actually succeed in an assault. Others say that Nessos did indeed assault Dianera, raped her on the opposite side of the river from Heracles, who was seemingly delayed in rescuing his wife or soon-to-be wife by shooting Nessos with an arrow. The latter, of course, makes Heracles look very bad, because he was right there, and if he could shoot an arrow right after Nessos had succeeded in this rape, why couldn't he do it before? Still, Nessos is most certainly shot through with an arrow, and many sources have it after an assault. And they don't just tell us that Nessos succeeded in his assault of Dianera, they give us evidence. What happens next is vital for our story to continue, and yet horribly disgusting in so, so many ways. After Nessos has been shot with Heracles' arrows, but before he dies there on the other side of the river, he speaks to Dianera in a hushed voice. He tells her that he knows how she can make a powerful love potion, assurance that her husband Heracles will never love another woman other than her. He tells her to take some of his blood, blood that poured from the wound caused by Heracles' arrow, and to mix it with his semen that has been spilled. Ew. Mix this, he tells her, and such a powerful love potion you will have. Save it. Keep it. Just in case. And she does. Just in case. Or others say it's just his blood that can be used as a love potion. (laughs) Much less disturbing. But let's be honest, you just know I have to share with you the full extent of Greek mythology's common ick factor. Regardless of how it comes about, of exactly what bodily fluid or combination of bodily fluids is involved, in all cases, Nessos the centaur dies there on the banks of the Evanus River, killed by one of Heracles' arrows. Dianera and Heracles leave together, either to get married or because they've already been married, and they go to Trachis where they settle down. Kind of. This is where our timelines once more become messy messes. Some say that these events with Dianera happened very early, like maybe they came before Heracles traveled to Icalia, before he tried to marry Aeoli, before he ever stayed with Amphali in Lydia. Maybe all of that happened while he was married to Dianera, 
i.e. maybe he tried to take Ioli as his concubine, for lack of a less ick word. Maybe he stayed with Amphale, enslaved by her, while his wife and son lived on in Trachis, just existing without him. Maybe, maybe, maybe. As we'll see next week, there really are so many options. But I chose to tell it this way because it makes Heracles seem just a hint less gross. But it's important you know these differing ideas because what you must know is that in Trachis, Heracles and Dianera have a son, Hylos. And Hylos grows up before our next episode begins. Because time passes, things change, Dianera lives on in Trachis with that love potion made of Nessos's blood, blood that poured from an arrow wound, and mixed with his centaur semen. And Heracles and Dianera and their son Hylos, they live happily ever after. <laughs> Cheke, that's crazy. Because one thing I'll have you remember from those old days of Heracles' labors in the earliest days of this podcast, it's that his arrows are poisoned with the blood of the Lernian Hydra. Ah, with every episode on Heracles, I share just a little bit more about how much Disney changed in their 90s masterpiece. The Pinhead with Hooves, for all its faults, they read pretty deep into Heracles for that movie. We have this fascinating conflation of Meg and Dianera here. Of course, Megara is indeed Heracles' first wife, but Disney's never going to suggest that, one, he killed her in a fit of rage, or two, he ended up with two mortal wives and loads of other sexy sex partners. But they still want to use these interesting, if very sanitized for the sake of children, scenes from Heracles' story. So we have this iconic scene of Dianera used to introduce Meg in the centaur Nessus. There are so many other moments like this, too. The use of real parts of the myth in kid-friendly Disney forms. I'm going to do a bonus episode on this soon, where I speak with someone about the movie and what is and is not from the myth, what they changed and how... As you all can tell, I find it really fascinating. Like, it's arguably one of the most accurate movies based on Greek myth, and yet it's also just deeply a Disney movie from the 90s. It's kind of wild. But I'll stop now. This isn't about the Disney movie as much as I'd like it to be. Well, 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 nerds, one final reminder to please submit your questions, comments, moments of wonder from the Atlantis series of episodes. You can find the form on my website, mythsbaby.com Atlantis. It's at the bottom of the page. I want to hear any and everything you have to say. Do you want clarity on something I told you? Do you want more details if they exist? What new questions have arisen? Or what do you want to share about what you learned, what you know? I'm going to be doing more of these deep dive series of episodes because it was both very fun and I heard from so many of you that you learned so much and that you enjoyed it. That was an enormous thrill for me, so I'm already looking at what I can cover next. What bit of information and or historical something has caused so much modern trouble? Yep, I've already got an idea. Something new is coming. 
For now, though, please tell me everything you learned or know or want to know about Atlantis. I want to hear it. And for good measure, it's been a while. So why don't I also ask you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts? Even if you don't listen there, it makes a huge difference across all podcast apps, and I'm forever grateful. I read every single review. They're emailed to me every day, and truly, they all make me so happy. So leave me five stars, would you? You can also now review podcasts on this thing called Podchaser. It's building itself as an alternative place for reviews and ratings. I only have four stars on there because one person decided I quote unquote hate males. So if you feel like upping that rating, you know, feel free. And once again, now I'm just rambling. So let's start wrapping this thing up. But what's this? Have I gotten fancy enough that I need to read credits at the end of episodes? Weird. Let's Talk About Myths Baby is written and produced by me, Liv Albert. Michaela Smith runs the YouTube account where episodes are being uploaded and captions are being added for greater accessibility and learning English. Michaela also handles promotional images, research, some editing, and so, so much more. The podcast is hosted and monetized by the good people at ACAST. And next week, we begin the incredible play by Sophocles, the women of Trachis, the Trachinii, the tragedy of Heracles, and Dianera. I am Liv, and I absolutely love this shit. When the Taliban banned music in Afghanistan... Millions were plunged into silence. Radios were smashed. Cassettes burned. You could be beaten or jailed or killed for breaking the rules. And yet, Afghans did it anyway. This is the story of how a group of people brought music back to Afghanistan by creating their own version of American Idol. The danger they endured. They said, my head should be cut off. The joy they brought to the nation. You're free completely. No one is there to destroy you. I'm John Legend. Listen to Afghan Star on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. 
At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.